We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Business. News Talk 830 WCCO. I'm Mike Max filling in for Paul and Jordana today and tomorrow. Um... It is, this is one of those topics that's really interesting to me. Brian Casey is the author of a new memoir called Ambul- Ambulance Man. I met him when I gave a speech a year ago and he came to me afterwards. I said, that is a fascinating conversation because a part of it is he's a police officer. Uh, he's worked in EMT uh, as a paramedic. Uh, so he's seen a lot of different things. And um, with that comes uh, the casualty of war, so to speak. Uh, we think about people that have seen violence in their home, violence uh, when they've served uh, our country. Uh, sometimes we think about it with police officers and firefighters, but how about EMTs that see gunshot wounds and, and car uh, accident victims, all those things? How do they carry that with them? How do they process that? And Brian has seen it from a lot of different angles because he's a police officer as well. Uh, he's kind of seen all of the above, and he joins us now on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Brian, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I want I want to I want to hone in on that because I hadn't thought about it until you and I had that conversation. If you if you're an EMT, and I'm going to get a little bit graphic here, um, but <laughs> there, there was there was the news of the, this young man that was shot on the north side of Minneapolis this this last year, the quarterback uh, Deshaun Hill, and um, it, it's in the paper and you see the picture of him and and he's smiling you know from his days as a quarterback and and and, and this kid you know was just an innocent victim. Somebody that uh, heard the gunshots uh, went out, and about a minute after, they, they videotaped uh, uh, the scene, and and they came up to me and they and they and they gave me the, the what they had videotaped in their phone, and I guess videotape's not the right, but they captured the, captured it, and they showed it to me, and um, it became so blatantly real to me. It wasn't the kid smiling playing quarterback anymore. It was a young man sitting there who who you knew. Um, was not going to make it. And it changed everything for me when I hear the story or see him. Well, that's what the EMT sees. That's what the paramedic sees. That's what the police officer sees. They see what I just, I'm not getting into the details, but they see that. They don't see the picture in the paper that that recounts this person and what they've achieved. How how does that affect you? And can you flip a switch when you're working at that time? Or do you carry that piece with you? Well, I, I think, so I worked as a paramedic in Minneapolis for 18 years. And the, so I'm very familiar with that area and um, both in St. Paul and Minneapolis, very familiar with the violence. Paramedics, uh, for example, are very goal-oriented. Uh, so in those situations, so the, even if you see it in their affect, it's sometimes kind of flattened. 
It's because they're just very directed towards the activity. So in that moment, um, I'll just say the sicker you are, the more uh, injured you are, the more, um, what would be the word, the more tuned in the paramedic becomes because there's very hard work to do. And they, they're very skilled. So the personal aspect of it doesn't always enter in that moment. Um, I do know that um, police officers, other public safety workers, um, they often find the most probably painful part is uh, sick and injured people in the presence of loved ones. Because sometimes it's uh, wow. that open, raw grief that is particularly hard to take. Um, so, uh, you know, just so I, I think people should have confidence um, that, and there's even a chapter or a segment in my book where I call Good is Bad, where I describe how the sicker you are, um, the more, I don't know, I can't seem to find the right word at the moment, motivated uh, the paramedic becomes to, 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 get, to get the work done. So, um, uh, so, so, so that's part of it. Is, so I, I don't know if they make it so personal in that moment. Do you, do you file it away, though, and does it come back to you? Well, um, I would work shifts. Uh, so, you know, part of the, I have probably, I don't know the exact number, thousands of pages of journals from my uh, 36 years working as either a police officer or, or a paramedic where I recorded my experiences, the sights and sounds. And I did that with no intention of ever sharing it. It was just a process that I needed to go through. Um, and often I would work a shift and think, well, nothing too interesting happened. And then within about 10, 12 hours, certain images or thoughts would come to me. And one of the motivations I've had since I was a kid is I somehow couldn't bear to let, um, what would you call it, otherwise normal or sometimes profound events or personal interactions go without some record and boy, if you're in the ambulance business, you know, uh, you really have these, for lack of better terms, intimate uh, interactions with the sick and the, and the dying that often seem very profound. And um, and uh, I, I wanted to record those things. I wanted to collect those. So I, I don't know if I'm like others. It's just, uh, I, I do know that paramedics, uh, for example, do a lot of vicarious learning, meaning they share stories, because experience becomes so important in that work that if you don't have the experience yourself, you can kind of gain some of that experience. Uh, what would you do if? Uh, how did you solve that problem? How did you recognize that problem? Um, for example, by just storytelling and sharing experiences, you know. So we kind of take our temperature off each other that way. So I don't know. I, I did The work has been... You know, I don't expect to leave this career without some scratches and dents, but the work has been mostly very good for me. I was a good fit for it, and I've learned a lot, and, and I felt like I was had a really impactful career. I want to ask um, you. So I don't, I don't suffer a lot from it is another yep. way. And any suffering that I've done, you know, if you have a sense of higher purpose uh, or it gives you a sense sure. of meaning, it's welcomed. I, I want to ask you about that, and I want to ask you about how is it different based on the age of the kid that you come across or the nature of the injury when we come back? Can you stay on with us for a quick break, Brian? Sure. Brian Casey.
uh, memoir called Good Cop, Good Cop, and also Ambulance Man. He's seen a lot. He's seen it all. We'll visit with him and ask him about that when we come back. Mike Maxton for Paul and Jor on WCCO. Welcome back. Mike Max sitting in 3-6 to six, WCCO, 6 o'clock, the pregame. Twins and New York Yankees, round two. Brian Casey is the author of a memoir, Ambulance Man and Good Cop, Good Cop. He's a cop. Uh, he's been an EMT, a paramedic, and much more. And uh, we're asking, especially in this day and age, some of those situations. Age, Brian, when you come upon an accident scene and you see someone whose life is in jeopardy or maybe gone, and they are teenagers, or they are young people. Is that different than the person that's 80-plus in terms of the effect that it has on you? Well, the age is different. Is also the age of the practitioner, because I'll say that I think when I started out in the job, I had some arrogance around the age issue because it was common, common practice to think of it was more difficult to care for sick and injured children. I didn't feel that as much, but it, truly, when I had my own kids, mm. it did start to it did start to impact me differently. There was also advantages too because I uh, I knew how to handle little kid bodies and and pick them up and comfort them and on ambulance calls that you might do. Um, I got better at that, and that was became more obvious when I worked with young paramedics who didn't have kids. And but I I, I on that subject of caring for children, I I talked to um, a group of therapists today who want to work with public safety workers. And, and one of the questions, one of the things I've talked to them about is what really impacts public safety workers? What's, what's the, where does the harm sometimes seem to come? Where does it sneak past their armor, so to speak? And, um, and it's what you ask, it fits in nicely to the, the kind of three main topics. And I think you'll find this interesting. The three areas that I think seem to impact public safety's uh, workers the most is surprise, gore, and innocence. And what I mean by that is being surprised by something, not expecting to see something. Uh, gore, I, I don't think I need to explain that. But lastly, on the topic of children, innocence. When innocent people are harmed, that particularly seems to slip past our armor. And that can obviously be children. It can be other vulnerable people. And, you know, some of the things that impact public safety workers are the big flashbang, terrible events but also kind of the slow burn events, which would be, you know, we have a lot of exposure, repeated exposure to neglect and inattention. You know, people would be shocked to know how many children don't sleep in beds at night. And and if you're an urban ambulance worker or a police officer, firefighter, you've been in these homes and, and you've seen some of the difficulties that people endure. And so I, when I work, because of the work I do and the writing I do, I, I really like to acknowledge not the flash bang all the time, but also the the enduring the day to day difficulties uh, that co- that can really wear on people. Sure, because you go there for, for one reason. call and you find a whole different set of issues, huh? Right, and that's that's part of the excitement of the work too. Is that you know you come to work and as soon as that bell rings any variety of things you may be engaged in, uh, entering homes and, and uh, meeting people on the corner and, and alleyways. It's fascinating work. Uh, it, uh, it, it, the work has appealed to me for, for my entire career. And, and, and what's funny or interesting about the Ambulance Man book is it starts out with just this 
uh, obsession, if you have to call it, where I was attracted to chaos and disorder and other people's reaction to it. So I literally grew up in Stillwater and did what I called ambulance chasing, where I somehow had a savant-like skill ability to find these crashes and mishaps. What I I have some a big affection for ambulance work because, you know, the the police story has probably been widely portrayed. Um, firefighting kind of unceasingly praised, but it's the ambulance worker that always seemed like a mystery to me because I really felt that they 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 seemed uh, lean and calm, but I knew they dealt in gore and speed and. And, and they seem to, you hardly could ever see them in action, right? Because if you're a kid on a bike, by the time you arrive, the ambulance is gone and they're just sweeping up the debris or they disappear into a home. So I think one of the really appealing things about this book is going to be, it, a friend of mine described it as a rolling mystery box. People are might have some curiosity about the sights and the sounds. And the what, what do you think would surprise them? It would be very surprising. Um, and... Um, you know, there's a lot of. But what would surprise people about what goes on in an ambulance uh, driver's life that, that that we're not aware of? Well, I I think um, how uh, they develop an ability to, uh, you know, there's a section in the book where I call "Sick Not Sick," where we could walk into a space and we have an immediate gestalt about a patient, and we put them in a the category of sick or not sick, and not sick doesn't mean. They're not sick at all. It just means they're not going to rapidly deteriorate. You're not interrupting the process of death, for example. It it may sound gory, but you get so skilled at the job that I could I could tell if there was a dead person on scene by just the reactions of these um, people standing around. I mean, we I mean, in police work, it's even more intense where you learn to study humans and how they interact and how they behave. So. Ambulance work afforded me a real opportunity to get close to the action, um, develop some competence, overcome some naivete. Um, and I think what people might be interested in is you can take that too far and uh, suffer harm. And how do you navigate that? How do you navigate overexposure, so to speak? Sure. How, as do, you, how do you know when you're being overexposed? But, you, but in general, do you find uh, you, you, you don't need to apologize for, and if you want to go into this field, it's okay to crave an adrenaline rush? I mean, it, does that kind of drive you? Is Because is, is, your senses are so heightened all the time that I don't want to call it an addiction, but certainly it, it, it is much different than mundane life. Well, it so it's okay to ha- to be drawn to crises and develop a, a skill to literally navigate it. I mean, one of the real visceral enjoyments of this work is to go into a chaotic scene and calmly move about and, and transform it. I mean, police officers and firefighters and paramedics, we do that with remarkable skill. So you don't have to apologize for that. I I am not typical in that. Um, I experienced in one of the chapters, uh, it talks about disassociating, and that's where you kind of lose sense of reality, which can happen when you're naive and starting out in this career and get overwhelmed by it. And it was embarrassing, and maybe people can relate to tunnel vision and that type of thing. Um, I developed a dislike for adrenaline. So I have, I'm atypical in that I've never sought adrenaline. I, uh, so I've kind of honed an ability to, uh, to call from mom answer it 
Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Not allow adrenaline to engage my body. Um, and I, a lot of public safety workers are that way. That's why they look so calm. And, and, and because you don't need to go on that wild ride like a, a pedestrian would every time the bell rings, so to speak. I got you. You're not going to be very useful. So it, maybe some are attracted to the adrenaline. I never was. I, saw, I found it as a, a bit of annoyance, which, you know, uh, one of the things that people learn when they read the book is, you know, ambulance workers, if you watch, you know, they start to calm things down even before they get on scene. I mean, we would turn the siren off a block away. We might turn the lights off as we arrive just to start this process of calming and uh, building confidence in us, you know, which is not like on TV. Fascinating. Hey, Brian, thank you so much. The name of it is Ambulance Man, the book, but he's done a lot of great work uh, uh, throughout in this area. Thank you so much. I hope we can have you on again. Yeah, and if you would ask people to, to check out ambulancemanbook.com, that's the way you can learn some more about it if they're interested. But Ambul- thank you so much Ambulance for having Man me on. Book. It's always great to see you. Yeah, you too. Brian Casey. Here, Fuck yeah. yeah. When we come back, kind of along the same thing, but a little bit different. Brian Wierke is uh, Director of Public Safety for the police. He's also heavy in the uh, Police Chiefs Association. And what? How, how do you train someone to shoot or not shoot? How do you train someone to walk into a room uh, where there's significant chaos and to decide to make that split-second decision whether you use your firearm or not. That's what they, it's an interesting process that they use and the technology that they now have afforded to them. He will explain that to us when we come back. Stay with us. Mike in for Paul and Jor on WCCO. Brought to you by APA Medical, and it goes like this. going to be nice today, nice tomorrow, nice the next day, nice the next day, next, nice the day after that into the high 70s. Then we're going to get to 80 over the weekend. Next week, we could touch 90 once or twice. Chance of showers on Saturday, 40%, but otherwise pretty clear sailing and beautiful weather. Right now, 79, we're expecting for a high. Well, right now, it's almost there, 78 degrees. Welcome back. Mike Max sitting in for Paul and Jor. Brian Wierke is uh, Freddy Police Chief, but uh, he's also the head of uh, Police Chief Association right now in the state of Minnesota and president of the Minnesota Chiefs of Police Association. Uh, and so there's, there's a, he's, he's got a wide breadth of knowledge is what I'm saying. But today he's on for a specific reason. I ran into him last year. Uh, I bring him in on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. There we got all the stuff out of the way. Now we can just have a conversation. Brian, last year I ran into you... Uh, where were we at Jersey Mike's? Yeah, I think we were in Jersey Mike's and Fridley here. With yeah. my son and I were having a having a lunch, and we ran into you. Yeah, I was having the buffalo chicken sandwich, which is normally my want there. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's delicious. But anyway, we started talking. You came up to me and and, and recognized me, and we started talking. And and, and, and it just it, it piqued my interest, and I kept your card ever since because you you said to me you ought to come out sometime. And we'll put you through the paces, and the paces are this. You, you walk into a situation where you don't know what's in front of you, and you have a firearm. In other words, you're a police officer, and now you have yeah. to make split-second decisions. And, and, you, and I never thought about this, the, the training process that you try to use and articulate 
to get people to be efficient and to make prudent decisions. You take it from there because it sounded just, uh, I'd like to do this sometime uh, just to see how it feels, but but it sounded um, incredibly interesting and fascinating to me. Tell me what you do to try to prepare them for that. Yeah, Mike, thanks. uh, Thanks for having me. And uh, you make a great point, you know, as far as what I'm trying, what we're trying to do is, is, um, is train our not only our police officers, but when I talked to you, Mike, we were trying to also bring in our community members to actually put them through some training to help them understand the split second decisions that our police officers are making every day. And so what we had done about three years ago is we purchased a laser shot simulator which is basically a computer and a projector, and uh, and uh, it comes with laser guns and laser rifles and mace and, and tasers and that type of thing. And uh, it's set up in our in our police department, and uh, and we have certain learning goals that we have to we have to go through each year through our post board to keep our licenses. And so we have a curriculum that each of our officer goes through at least once a year, but they go down and they have their regular belts on and they have their laser guns. And uh, what it does is um, it gives you different scenarios, and they go through at least 10 scenarios. And a use-of-force instructor goes down with our officers, and it's one-on-one. And we go through these HD um, scenarios. On our video, they have sound, and they're scenarios that um, are, can vary from burglary calls, loud parties, um, active shooters, school threats, whatever it may be. And uh, as the officers are asked to verbalize their, their training, work on their critical thinking, um, work on their decision-making de-escalation, and some of the scenarios, they may have to use their firearm, they may have to use their taser. We're always trying to preach less lethal. Um, and, and when they go through the scenarios as they're verbalizing and using their different tools, um, they are then asked by our use-of-force instructor why they did what they did. So they have a reasonable understanding of our deadly force statutes our reasonable force policies that they have and so it no one can get hurt by this so we're, we bring in our community members and mike i'm going to get you down here soon and put you through the paces and, and see how you do but it also gives the officers the idea that how long will it take to react to what a suspect may do in certain situations so some people call it a shoot no shoot training we really it's, it's really not it's all about decision-making and, and how we can better make decisions with our police officers. Some of our police, the best police officers we have in this state are the ones with great verbal skills. So we ask our officers to you know, really try and use those verbal skills, those de-escalation, and then take it from there. And the use of force instructors can change the scenarios as they go. We have hundreds and hundreds of scenarios that are in this um, computer, and uh and we, we, we do mandate them to go through once a year, at least 10 scenarios, but we also have the opportunity to use it daily throughout the year, and uh, many of them take advantage of that. So. Brian, what would be a red flag of somebody that approaches a situation that, that and you throw a couple variables at them and they react? What, what would be a red flag where you go, boy, we, we can't put that person in this situation? Well, I, I think uh, you know some of the red flags, if I understand your question, Mike, correctly, you know, it's it's the reactions of the suspects, where their hands are, what's in their hands, what kind of verbalization the suspects are saying. And so there's just a, there's so many red flags that we do train for. You know, obviously we're watching hands first and foremost. We're, we're watching their verbalization. 
and some of the and some of the things that are in the background of these of the people that we're working with, who's in the background, and and those types of things. So, so in uh, essence, it, it, I, I never thought about that, but. If, if you're a police officer walking into a situation like that, if you follow their hands, their hands are going to tell you what's coming next. Yes, and that's why you always see um, body cameras when you see officers on uh, on body cameras on even on um, any anywhere throughout the country. You're seeing the officers, you know, asked to see their hands because those are the ones that can first hurt us um, or make things uh, go south quickly. And what would be a verbal as you enter a room? Uh, where there are suspects, or what, what's what would be a, 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 an example of a good verbal command to give as you enter that room, where you don't know if someone's going to pull a gun and try to shoot you? What would be the first thing you try to say uh, to quell that situation? Well, a lot of times we're, we're we're training. A lot of times, what we'll use is is you'll hear as we talked about, you know, sir, let me see your hands. Um, please don't make any sudden movements. Um, let me know what you're going to do. So we have a clear understanding of each other and what we're going to do and, and what I'm going to do. Um, are they under arrest or why am I here? And using those verbal de-escalation skills, they're just so important. When, when um, and this is, I know this is where the rubber meets when we saw Amir Locke and, and, and what happened there, all those things. Is there a, a rule of thumb that says, okay, you've identified that that suspect has a weapon and if they move it towards me, uh, you need to shoot, or, or do you say drop the gun? I mean, I know this is a nanosecond that you're talking about, but but is there any rule of thumb there when you identify that they have a weapon in their hands as to when you decide that that, that it's time uh, to pull the trigger on your side? Well, you know, that's a tough one, Mike. Um, I, I don't know if there's necessarily a rule of thumb. I'm certainly not going to comment on a Minneapolis case, but sure. it, it's a tough it's a tough one. Um, you know, we're the deadly force statutes to protect a peace officer or another from death or great bodily harm. And then, and it's got to be articulated with specificity. And, uh, and it, it's just a, it's a very tough, um, it's a tough, it's a tough job, Mike. Yeah, it's it is. Job. It's a really and, tough and job. So to answer that question, no, I, there's really not a rule of thumb. There's a level of comfort experience helps, um, you know, verbalization, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a tough situation, no doubt about it. When you talk throughout the state of Minnesota, because I mentioned the head of the uh, police chief association, is, is everybody yeah. facing the same things, or does it vary a great deal uh, based on uh, what precinct you're in? You know, everybody's feels it feels like Mike. Everyone is is um, facing the same type of of situations we're having. The recruiting and retention of police officers right now has just been so difficult um, for everybody mm -hmm. across the entire state of Minnesota. Yep. It doesn't matter the agency. It's just been extremely tough. Um, and, I, and I would say probably that's our number one issue that we're having um, in the state of Minnesota with police departments across the state. Is being able to recruit them and sell them on the fact that this is a great career, huh? Yeah, it is. And even, re even retaining them is tough to do. And, uh, and, and, now our our numbers and our, our our skills, our police programs are are at a record low. Um, you know, so we're you know each each and every department is using different creative ways to bring in reserves and community service officers and people in the community and and you know every one of us every one, every police officer in Minnesota should be out recruiting every single day to mm -hmm. get people interested and excited and and to you know mentor these young men and women that we want to get into our our police forces. 
Yeah, I see and, those community uh, groups every day downtown Minneapolis uh, trying to help as well. And you go, wow, that that well, well I find that to be um, encouraging. It also speaks to the fact that there's just not enough police officers. Yes, for yeah. sure. And we spend a lot of our time in the hiring process. And we'd rather be out in the community dealing with our community and working with our community yeah. instead yep. of being at the office um, hiring all the time. Yep. So, Brian, appreciate yeah. it very much. I hope I can get out there and you'll put me through the paces. My pleasure, Mike. I'll uh, I'll call you soon, and we'll get you over here and uh, get you through some scenarios. That'd be awesome. Brian Wierke joined us for the police chief and the head of the Minnesota Police Chief Association. On how do you react when there's no handbook and you walk in? Decisions you have to make. We'll finish up this edition. Twins and Yankees not far away. Game 2. Mike Max for Paul and Jor on WCCO. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 